Welcome to Project Loop. This podcast may not be suitable for young audiences. This podcast may not be suitable for triggered audiences. In fact, viewer discretion should probably be advised. In this podcast, we're going to sit down and discuss stories of women who have faked their own pregnancies. We want this podcast to be a place where victims can come and know that they're not alone, that they can know that there's other people, such as myself, who have been the victim of a terrible lie, who have been the victim of a faked pregnancy. With that being said, let's get into today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Project Luke, episode number 20 uh, here today. And before we get into the episode, I want to put an extra emphasis on our warning of this episode, because this episode will probably be one of the worst, if not the worst, that we've ever covered on this podcast. Um, This story involves not one, not two, but three murders. Um, The details are very heartbreaking. And if you are triggered by that, um, any of the details that we give in this, um, this may not be the episode for you, especially if you have younger listeners listening in. Again, this may not be the episode for you to listen to at this time. But with that being said, uh, getting into the rest of our formalities, into the show, thank you uh, for tuning in to Project Loot. We do appreciate you uh, stopping in and listening, especially if you have um, been a continued listener to this podcast. I do appreciate it very much. Um, Thank you to all of our listeners. I know I've said that two or three times already. We have listeners uh, in eight different countries now. And so for me, that's uh, really exciting that we have listeners mainly in the United States. We also have listeners in Germany, Sweden, Ireland, Canada, South Korea, Spain, and Nigeria. So if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. Um, everyone is welcome here, uh, regardless of your, your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of your skin color, your religion, uh, or no religion, whatever it is that makes you different, you are welcome here. Um, But the main reason I do this is for the victims of these fake pregnancies, because if you're new to this podcast, we discuss stories of women who fake their own pregnancies, and in some cases, even men who have went along with it and helped fake pregnancy. Um, But this episode today really um, pulls at some heartstrings. This is a very disturbing story. And again, I don't do this just to get views or or listens or whatever you call it on a podcast. I'm not even a professional podcaster. I'm a man with a microphone who does this on the side. I work a full-time job outside of this, so I make absolutely zero income from this podcast. 
but I do it to raise awareness on the topic of fake pregnancies. Why is it that so many women fake their pregnancies? Sometimes we find an answer, we determine what we think an answer is, and sometimes we don't always get an answer uh, on that why. But we know that it happens, and I believe it happens more than a lot of people believe it does, which is why I want to raise awareness to it. Because here in the United States, I can't speak for the whole world, but in the United States, faking a pregnancy is not illegal. But, and we'll find that out in this case, that no one was charged with faking a pregnancy in this. And though I don't believe that in this particular episode, faking the pregnancy was not necessarily the worst thing that... Uh, happened in this episode, but again, we'll get into that here in just a second. But it's it's the questions that we ask: Why? Why does this happen? And why is it not illegal? And why are people not talking about it? Why are we not calling this shit out? But it, in a sense, we almost sweep it under the rug. So that's what this podcast is about, if you're new here. I've talked long enough for this little intro, added on to the intro from earlier, at the beginning of the episode. But with that being said, let's get into the episode. Today's article that I'm going to be reading from comes from www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. This was posted November 2nd of 2022, and this story in particular actually happened in 1995. So this is kind of a recap of the story that happened in 1995 in the state of Illinois. So maybe you have heard this story, maybe you remember this story, maybe you've never heard it before. I didn't know anything about it until I started listening to um, a podcast about it the other day, trying to find some more information on it, um, trying to find some videos and some articles, different things like that. Um, but in my opinion, this is probably one of the worst, if not the worst, episode. I, I put it right there beside Taylor Parker. Um, if not above Taylor Parker and what she did. Um, but anyways, we're going to get into the story now. The article reads, Stolen Lives, the Evans Family Murders. That is the headline for the story, again, published November 2nd, 2022, the MidwestCrimeFiles.com. The article reads, In the fall of 1995, Deborah Evans was living in Addison, Illinois, with her three children, Samantha, Joshua, and Jordan. Samantha, 10 years old, and Joshua, 7 years old, were children from a previous relationship. Deborah had been seeing Laverne Ward for a while, and he was the father of her two-year-old son, Jordan, and the baby she was carrying in 95. Deborah was living with another man, James Edwards, in the fall of 1995. 
Deborah was just days away from being induced when tragedy struck. The story, this is the story of stolen lives, the Evans family murders. So in this article, it shows a picture of Deborah Evans and her children, Samantha, Joshua, and Jordan. Um, very beautiful family that we have here. Samantha, I'm going to point out in this story, so it'll make sense down the road, because I'm not familiar if this article, um, I guess, puts this information out in this. So I'm going to tell you that Deborah, Samantha, and Joshua are all white. Uh, Laverne Ward, which is the father of the two-year-old and the expecting child, is a black man. Um, again, nothing wrong with that, with any of that. But, you know, Deborah and Laverne hit a rough spot in their relationship, and they kind of split it off. She met someone else and was living with him. Um, but anyways, let's get into more of the story. We'll find out more about who Deborah Evans is. Deborah Jo Evans was born May 6th. 1967, she was raised by her father, Sam, who lived in southern Illinois. Deborah has given birth to Samantha Jean Evans in 1985, when she was just 18 years old. Her son, Joshua Ryan, followed in 1988. At some point, Evans moved to the suburban Chicago area. Her cousin described her as fun-loving, laughter-seeking friend who loved to go dancing who loved children, and was open and forgiving of everyone in her life. Deborah was a beautiful person and an excellent mother, That, and that's what should be talked about, she added. Deborah Evans started seeing Laverne Ward and gave birth to their son Jordan in 1994. She began, became pregnant again in 1995. Due at the end of November, however, her relationship with Laverne had deteriorated as Deborah has taken out a restraining order against Ward for domestic violence. The mom moved to Addison and tried to move on with her life, her kids, and her baby as she planned to name Elijah. On the evening of November 16, 1995, Ward came to Deborah Evans' apartment along with his cousin, Jacqueline Williams, and her boyfriend, Fidel Cathy. Laverne was 24, his ex-girlfriend. Laverne was 24, his ex-girlfriend, Deborah, and cousin, Jacqueline, were both 28, and Cathy was 22. Deborah allowed the group into her apartment against her better judgment. Once inside, Ward tried to convince Deborah to give up her child to Jacqueline in exchange for $2,000. Deborah loved her unborn son dearly and refused the offer. Now, again, I don't know if this article states all of this information. We'll find out more as we get further into it. But um, it's noted. And I believe one of the podcasts I listened to that this Laverne Ward was a 
light pigmented black man. Now, Jacqueline is the one that has, is Laverne's cousin, has been faking her pregnancy for some time. And her boyfriend is Fidel. Um, Jacqueline, at this point, I believe, has had two or three kids of her own. But due to her lifestyle, um, I guess poor lifestyle decisions, she does not have custody of any of her three kids. So she does not have her kids, and she's also had her tubes tied. So she's pregnant, you know, while she has her tubes tied. And she told, I think, Videl, if I remember right, that's her boyfriend, that she, or no, I think Fidel wanted a baby. Yeah, Fidel wanted a baby. Told Jacqueline he wanted a baby, but he wanted it to be a um, light-colored baby, like a light-pigmented baby. And Laverne, being a light-pigmented black man, would give off a collar that made it look like it was Fidel's, because I believe Fidel is of a uh, Mexican descent. If I'm not mistaken, I may be. But, um, so... That way they could try to pass it off that Deborah's unborn child, Elijah, would be able to pass as Fidel and Jacqueline's. So there's a little info there. I don't know if this article gets to that, but um, that is where we're at right now. Continuing on with the article says Laverne Ward was born September 21st, 1971, and was raised in Alabama. By the early 1990s, he was living in Carroll Stream, Illinois, with a girlfriend. The two had a child together, but the relationship soured. Ward was charged several times with harassing his ex-girlfriend as well as domestic violence. In October of 92, he violated a protective order in pushed a police officer, resulting in his, his arrest in a three-year jail term. He was released by 93. However, when Deborah Evans became pregnant, however, when Deborah Evans became pregnant with his son, Jordan. So, sounds like this dude, Laverne Ward, has some serious issues. He's, uh, Probably not the person you want to hang out with, you know. Um, he's got multiple domestic violence, um, several times charged with harassing his ex-girlfriend. So, uh, got a real winner here. Jacqueline Williams was born December 22nd, 1966. She was the mother of three young children when she met Fidel Caffey. Fidel was born January 16th, 1973. The couple had a history of violent behavior, including several domestic disputes. They were very they were very violent towards each other. They used to cut up each other's dashboards, cut up their tires, break their windows, 
in each other's cars. They used to fight constantly, uh, said a friend. The relationship seemed to be leading to an inevitable end, but Jacqueline told her friend she had an idea on how to keep her boyfriend have his baby. So, as you see right there, there's another case where a woman thinks, man, if I can just keep this man, I can keep him. If I'm having his child, he won't leave me. Not if I'm having his child. And I think just about any man, if they knew that a woman was going to have his child, he would probably feel pretty shitty to leave her just up like that after being pregnant. Um, but at the same time, I'm like thinking in common sense, if they're having all of these domestic disputes and they're violent and they're tearing up each other's dashboards and cutting their tires and breaking the windows out of each other's cars, just totally trashing the cars. Why do you want to keep someone like that? Why do you want to be with someone like that? Um, that, that would make me question that. Why would I want to have his child if he's just a total piece of shit? Anyways, uh, just my opinion. So Jacqueline says, hey, I'm going to have his baby. Um, that's how I'm going to keep him. So is this where it all started? Is with Jacqueline? Is this why um, we're covering this story? We'll find out. Let's continue reading. She used to tell me all the time, I know if I can just get a baby by Fidel, and if it's a boy... I can keep him. Her friend explained um, in April of 95, Jacqueline announced she was pregnant. Fidel of Hispanic ethnicity uh, specifically wanted a light-skinned baby with his black girlfriend so the boy would look more like him. Jacqueline, looked, Jacqueline told her friends she was due in August but later moved the the due date to October and eventually November. In fact, the woman told her probation officer she had given birth on November 1st, 1995. She did not give birth as Jacqueline was not able to have any more children and had never been pregnant. Her cousin, Laverne, however, had an idea that would solve both of their problems. On the evening of November 16th, 1995, Laverne Williams I'm sorry, Laverne, Williams, and Caffey. I don't know why it worded it like that. It used Laverne's first name, but used the other's last names. So, Ward, Williams, and Caffey is how it should read. Arrived at the apartment of Deborah Evans. Laverne tried to convince his ex-girlfriend to sell her baby to Williams and Caffey for $2,000. So Laverne goes in there, he's talking to Deborah. You need to sell our child because this is his child, his own son, that she's due any time. She's due to be induced in just days. It's just you need to sell your unborn child to Jacqueline and Fidel for the total sum of two thousand dollars. 
Now, Deborah, being the very loving person that she is, obviously can't put a price tag on her child's life. She already has three children. This would be her fourth child. I mean, no, this is this is my child. I'm not just going to give up our child for $2,000. That's not enough money, first of all. I mean, can you really put a price tag on any child? If you can think of a number for a child and say, that would be my number to sell my child, you probably shouldn't be a parent. Uh, you probably shouldn't have kids, if you can think of a number. A child should be a priceless gift. But imagine going to your significant other, if you're a male, or ladies, because I know we have a lot of ladies that listen to this podcast. If your baby daddy come to you and said, you need to sell our child, here's two grand, keep your mouth shut, and just sell the baby. No, don't do it. <laughs> Uh, there there shouldn't be any question on this. No question at all. And she didn't have any questions. She pretty much flat out told him, no, we're not doing this. We are not selling this child. Um, so when she refused, Fidel Caffey shot Deborah in the head and started stabbing her repeatedly with a knife. Ward and Caffey then went to the bedroom of 10-year-old Samantha and stabbed her to death. Samantha had defensive wounds, suggesting she put up a fight against her two male attackers. I'm going to stop right there and say that um, in this article, it reads that she was shot first and then stabbed. I don't know if that is the right order cuz i it i mean to me i would think that would be the right order to kind of keep Deborah quiet because i think if you cut into anyone um start stabbing them they're going to make a lot of noise and i don't know as far as when they lived where they were living, uh, I said that she lived in an apartment, I believe. Does this apartment, I mean, most apartments have neighbors around them, but why are, why is no one finding out what's going on? Why is no one calling the cops? Um, I don't know. Maybe people just didn't want to get involved. Maybe her neighbors weren't home. This is a, a really crazy story. Um, so obviously they shoot Deborah in the head, which is going to kill her, which is one murder. And they see 10 year old Samantha and they go to her bedroom and they start stabbing her and killing her and they kill her 10 year old girl, little girl who was innocent in all of this. Did not need to be involved in any of this. 
had defensive and she was trying to fight off two grown adults. And a 10-year-old lost her life that night, along with a mother. An expecting mother to be that, but also the mother of three other children. Because someone wants to make her man happy. If I have his baby, it'll make everything all better. But obviously, you gotta know that Fidel knows that this is not truly his child. Because he's here at the apartment, helping commit these crimes. But we're going to steal this baby and tell everyone that it's mine. And Jacqueline's. And Laverne's going to go with it. It's also noted, and it will probably say later on in the article, there was also reports of a fourth man. But from what I understand, this fourth man, was he was there. And he didn't stay very long. He got out of there and left. Is not known who this fourth man was. Um, and nothing ever came out of the fourth man. Who he was, why he was there. Um, so the fourth man has been a mystery for all these years. But um, very, very sad story here that we're covering. Continuing on. Um, in the article, it shows the mugshot from all three of these people, Fidel, Jacqueline, and Laverne. The article reads, Meanwhile, Jacqueline Williams was hard at, open, hard at work opening Deborah Evans' abdomen and delivering her baby boy. She performed mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation on the infant boy who began to cry. The baby boy weighed 6 pounds, 8 ounces, and was reasonably healthy despite a botched cutting of his umbilical cord. Jacqueline dressed the baby after giving him a quick bath. Once the baby was ready, Samantha... Once the baby was ready and Samantha was dead, the three left with 7-year-old Joshua. They left 19-month-old Jordan home alone with the deceased bodies of his mother and his sister. Is this not the most fucked up story you've ever heard? The fact that not just one person went on in this... Not just two people went in on this, but three. And I reported even a fourth person, but the fourth person decided to bail out some point during all this. While Laverne, while it's noted that Laverne and Fidel are in there killing a 10-year-old girl, Jacqueline is cutting open the wound 
of Deborah and pulling out baby Elijah to claim as her own, giving him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, giving him a bath, dressing him up in clothes, because I'm sure that child had clothes ready, being that he was supposed to be born any day. And... Deborah, not able to defend herself against a gun pointed at her head. But let's dress him up and go on about our way. They take little seven-year-old Joshua because, you know, witnesses, he's old enough to testify just like the 10-year-old sister was. I believe that's why they killed her. And left a 19-month-year-old baby. Just not even quite two years old yet. To live there with... I'm sorry, not to live there, but to stay there with the bodies of his sister. And his mother, his mother who probably loved and took care of him every single day of his life, his mother was probably that little 19-month-year-old's hero. It's now not moving, not waking up, and he doesn't know what's going on. He can't make sense of it. Why mommy won't wake up? Folks, we got to take a quick intermission. And after the intermission, we will be back with the rest of this story. Hey, y'all, want to take a second and say thank you for taking the time to listen to Project Luke. It means the world to me that y'all would take time out of your days to stop and listen to this podcast and listen to some of the stories that we have here on Project Luke. Um, these are stories of women who have faked their own pregnancies. These are real stories. People whose lives have been changed forever because of one person's lie or continued series of lies um, that have just totally changed lives forever. Because one person wanted to keep a man, or one person wanted to get revenge, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a mental illness, or whatever, but it's... I, I do this podcast for the victims of these stories. Victims like myself. Because I myself have been a victim of a fake pregnancy, and I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to feel like... I'm all alone in what I'm going through because there isn't anyone else that knows what I'm going through. There isn't anything out there to help people who have been victims of fake pregnancies. There isn't AA meetings. There isn't Alcohol Anonymous, um, drug rehab. What I mean, whatever the case, anger management, there isn't anything like that. for people who have been the victim of a fake pregnancy. 
And I want this podcast, this platform, to be that for people who have experienced that. And I know that there isn't as many of those people as there are in some of the other groups, but that doesn't mean that we can't have support for each other and be there for one another in all of this. So, again, you're welcome. Thank you guys for listening and supporting Project Luke. Now, with that being said, let's get back into the episode. All right, coming back off of our intermission, we left off uh, very heartbreaking news in this story where we know that there's been at least two murders. Deborah Evans murdered for seemingly refusing to sell her child after the baby daddy and the other couple had failed to convince her to give them this child for $2,000. Also noted that um, she did have a restraining order against Laverne at the time, but at the same time, it's also noted that um, she was a very loving and forgiving person, and I believe she did not want to keep her child. Again, she had a child, Jordan, who was 19 months old, with Laverne, and believe she did not want to keep her child from her father, that they wants the both of them to have a relationship and to grow with one another. Uh, I think any mother, for the most part, I, I will say it would depend on each particular father because there are some good fathers and some that are not so great. But I think any mother would want their child to have a relationship with their father. And I don't see why anyone would not want that. Again, I know every case is different. Again, there are some pretty shitty fathers out there. Some who are not even fathers at all. Um, it takes more than um, making the child. Then it takes more to than just making a child to be a parent. Whether that's a mother or father, there are some bad mothers out there too. Um, but again, any respectable parent, I believe, would want, as long as the other parent is respectable, would want them to have a relationship with their father or their mother. Um, so I think that's why she let her in. It was also noted somewhere down the road that Jacqueline was living in the apartment. I heard that somewhere. If that's true, I'm not sure. This story is not really telling it that way. But that Jacqueline was in on hard times and needed a place to stay. She was also pregnant, just like Deborah. And so Deborah felt sympathy for her and let her live there. All in reality was just so Jack, or I'm sorry, that, uh, yeah, Jacqueline could become closer with Deborah. If that's true, I'm not sure, but I heard that 
in one of the podcasts that I listened to. I don't know if this story covers that or not, but the way it's reading, it doesn't sound like it. Um, but the three, Jacqueline, Laverne, and Fidel, all left, and they took seven-year-old Joshua and left 19-month-old Jordan. Laverne's own son left him there with the body of his mother and his sister. Three adults thought that that was okay. So, really just three pieces of shit. I'm going to put it. The article continues on and says, When James Edwards, the man living with Deborah, that is Deborah's new boyfriend, I believe, um, she was living with him, I believe they had started a relationship, he returned home at approximately 2.30 a.m. He found Jordan immediately crying, explaining his mommy was hurt. He found the body of Deborah in the living room and could see her stomach had been ripped open. He then found Samantha in her room with her throat slashed. Edwards called 911 and reported the crime and that Joshua Evans was missing. Meanwhile, the group brought young Joshua to a friend's house and asked if she could watch the boy while his mother was recovering from a gunshot wound. Jacqueline explained that she was going to watch him, but she had just given birth. Jacqueline again saying she had just given birth. I can't watch him too. Can you watch him? He's seven years old. The woman agreed, but noticed something was off right away. Joshua had a coat on, but no shoes or pants. He had blood on him. She heard the little boy cry several times throughout the night. The next morning, Joshua was still crying and telling her that four people had come into her house and killed his mother and his sister. He identified three of the people as Williams, Caffey, and Ward. When Williams returned to pick up the boy the next day, his babysitter explained that they were, there were discrepancies in the story Williams told in the boy's version. Jacqueline told Joshua it was time to take his medicine, but the boy pleaded that he didn't take medicine. After Jacqueline gave him something, the boy vomited. Realizing the boy could identify them, Caffey, Williams, and Ward took him to Williams' house and strangled him in the laundry room. Williams then stabbed him in the vehicle before dumping his body behind a building. He was found soon after. Very disturbing that you can take the life of one person. It's even more disturbing when it's two people or three people. It's even more disturbing when two of those three people are young children who have not got the chance to fully live out their lives and experience their lives, to see the futures that they had before them taken away from them from 
adults who were much more stronger and overpowering than the both of them. That, hey, if two or three adults gang up on a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, that they don't stand a chance. But this is absolutely terrible. It's disgusting. And I don't know how someone could sleep at night knowing what they were doing. That they thought that this was okay to kill and murder young children, to murder an expecting mother, not just a mother, but an expecting mother. How sick do you have to be? So Joshua had told this babysitter, and in this article, she is not identified, but I believe she is identified somewhere. I don't remember her name, um, but she ends up testifying in court. I do remember that um, over all of this. So, um, continuing on with the article, you know, now that there is three deaths, Deborah, Samantha, and Joshua. The knife used to kill Joshua was later found in Jacqueline Williams' dishwasher. A bloodstained sheet was found a few blocks from Joshua's body and matched a bed set uh, found and matched a bed set found a found at Jacqueline's home. It's supposed to be at Jacqueline's home. Several items tested positive for blood, including poultry shears, an elastic bandage, a missions test notice, and a jacket. The serology expert stated that DNA from a cord found in Williams' apartment matched Joshua's. Uh, Joshua's blood on it matched Joshua. Blood on a jacket at the scene belonged to both baby Elijah and toddler Jordan. Or in toddler Jordan, not Tyler Jordan. Tyler Jordan. Testing all testing also confirmed Laverne Ward was the father of both living boys. Laverne Ward called his girlfriend, his ex girlfriend, shortly after the crime and told her to told her to end her relationship with her boyfriend or face having the same thing done to her as was done to Evans. Mataldo, or I'm sorry, uh, as the source, police quickly identified the three suspects and made the arrest. Jacqueline Williams was holding Elijah Ward at the time of her arrest. All three were charged with capital murder and faced the death penalty. So, there are some... Uh, some evidence there that they find blood on some different things. There was a the knife that was used to kill. She throws in the dishwasher. Is probably going to make a sandwich with it later. Um, 
it's just it's disgusting. This is disgusting how people can be this cruel and heartless. Several items tested for blood. Um, this is this is terrible. Um, so they were all three arrested. I also want to note that Laverne, it was noted in one of the podcasts I listened to, Laverne was very vocal on his dislike for Deborah. Whatever issues they had in their relationship, obviously there was a restraining order, I believe, um, that Deborah had against him. And man, his story is so crazy. Um, but he was very vocal on, um, saying things like, man, I'd like to kill her or, or whatever. Um, it was very vocal that, uh, he wanted to cause harm to her. Um, so the story continues on here, um, that all three face the death penalty charged with capital murder murder and face the death penalty. When Jacqueline Williams went to trial, there was very little doubt of her guilt. Those who knew her testified that she had been physically abused by Caffey, as well as several other ex-boyfriends. She claimed to be innocent of the crime, unaware that Caffey and Ward were going to kill Deborah, Samantha, and Joshua. Williams' mother testified that Jacqueline dropped out of high school when she was a sophomore due to pregnancy. She described her daughter as a good mother. A psychologist further tested that Williams had an IQ of 81, which is below average. He also described Williams as having borderline personality disorder and antisocial traits. So we see that she's kind of got like a low IQ. She probably followed... Um, the other two around, I'm going to assume, did what they said, followed along with uh, a lower IQ, borderline personality disorder thing. Um, so there's some mental illness there. But um, the fact that her own mother said, oh, she's such a good mother, but didn't have custody of her own children. Yeah, I'm not buying that. What makes you a good mother? What makes a good mother? Obviously, it's not that. But I, at the same time, I also think that, you know, if a mother is in Jacqueline's mother's case where, hey, my own daughter is going to um, stand trial and possibly go to death row, uh, I don't want to see my daughter executed. So maybe I should say some nice things about her shiner in a good light, and maybe she won't get the death penalty. So I can kind of see that from her mother's perspective, but in a reality, she's not a good mother. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy. All the story continues. All three defendants were convicted of first degree murder, although Joshua told the witnesses told witnesses there had been a fourth individual 
no rest was ever made in relation to a fourth killer. Fidel Caffey and Jacqueline Williams both received the death penalty for their roles in the murder, kidnapping, and robbery. Laverne Ward, who continued to deny being involved, was sentenced to life in prison plus 60 years after a jury failed uh, to vote unanimously for the death penalty. At his sentencing, he said, There is no way in God's green earth that I would have done that to Debbie. Someone with with less than a human being did that. I am not a psychotic killer. Um, I also heard, and again, I don't know if it's true, but I heard in a podcast that there was absolutely zero traces, zero evidence that showed that Laverne was actually in the apartment that night. There was no fingerprints, no anything, no nothing that come up saying, hey, Laverne was here. I don't know if that's true, but I believe that is the reason why he did not face the death penalty when the other two did. So, um, here is where the story kind of gets a little sour for me. In 2003, again, this is 1995, when all of this crime happens. So probably within the next two or three years is when I'm going to assume um, they are convicted of these crimes. It does not give a date as to when they went to um, the court date. They're hearing here um, this statement from him was made in 1998. So I'm going to assume about three years. But this is after they've been tried. And it says in 2003, Illinois Governor George Ryan continued, or I'm sorry, commuted all death row inmate sentences in Illinois to life in prison. This included those of Jacqueline Williams and Fidel Caffey. Both were resented to life without parole 30 years, despite appear hearings appeal hearings, and attempts to have their convictions and sentences overturned, all three defendants remain in prison to this day. Fidel Caffey is currently housed in a a Pickneyville Correctional Center, Laverne Ward at Western Illinois Correctional Center, and Jacqueline Williams at Logan Correctional Center. Um... So, the governor, this one day, decides he's going to commute all death row inmates in the state of Illinois, which is where the crime takes place, which is where they're tried. And by doing so, uh, he stops 167 death row sentences. 167 people sentenced to death on death row. And I believe four were pardoned. 
out of all of those. Um, but it's, he's, he's stated since all of this that he had no regrets in doing this, that his reasoning behind all of this to, um, you know, not sending these people out onto death row was to, was to be like, what if it's always the, what if, what if one of those people on death row is innocent? What if they're ones that did not commit the crime? What if I was to send somebody to death row and for them to be executed, but they're actually innocent? Then their blood is on my hands. That's kind of his reasoning behind it. And I kind of get where he's coming from at, at this point, but here you have evidence that clearly states that these two were involved in this murder. I'm sorry, these three, but these two that were Fidel and Jacqueline, who were both um, involved in this murder. They were all involved in the murder, but, the, but Jacqueline and Fidel were the two that were sentenced to death. Evidence pointing that they took part in these murders. And they're sentenced to death row, but we want to let them go because they might be innocent. So now they're serving life in prison. They get to live out the rest of their days, the rest of their life, behind bars, which, you know, doesn't sound appealing to most, but you get three meals a day, you get a roof over your head, and you don't have to pay anything for it. They've probably settled well to prison life since all of this. Um, but how disturbing is it that three people lost their lives in November of 1995, November 16th, 1995. And the three people who are responsible for taking those lives get to live the rest of their life. Where's the justice in that? And again, I know everyone's got their own opinion on the death penalty. Some are for it, some are against it. But evidently, Fidel, Jacqueline, and Laverne were not against it on that November 16th of 1995. They weren't against the death penalty that night. But when the tables turn, oh, we don't want the death penalty. That's not fair. Bullshit. This is this has got me worked up tonight, folks. I'm recording this. It's it's like ten thirty at night. I'm sitting here recording this. It pisses me off. 
these three get to live the rest of their lives. In 2012, motion for clemency, Jacqueline Williams wrote, I am a very good person, and I feel I deserve to be back in society. She begged to be reunited with her family, including three children and six grandchildren. Furthermore, she said that she misses the smell of flowers and hugs of family members. Williams said, I understand my guilt, and I am so truly remorseful. But I feel I have served enough time. Her motion was denied. Much to the satisfaction of Sam Evans. Sam, Deborah's father, raised Jordan and Elijah in his southern Illinois home after the horrific murder of their mother and siblings. Um, so the article does show three photos of the three. Again, these look like mug shots almost, but they're wearing prison uniforms. Of the three, there's... Uh, Laverne, there's Fidel, there's Jacqueline. And then below this, where after it talks about Sam raising them after murder, it shows a photo of both young uh, Sam and Elijah, or not sorry, Elijah and Jordan. Uh, there's a lot of names in this in this story here. To try and follow and keep up with. Elijah and Jordan went to spend went to live with their grandfather who strived to provide a normal life for the boys. As a teenager, Elijah was an athlete and normal high school student. The boys were the shimmering light of hope in an otherwise horrific event. Both boys were unharmed and thrived under the loving care of their grandfather. They've had to deal with the harsh reality of what happened to their mother, sister, and brother and that it happened at the hands of their biological father. This is a story of stolen lives, both of the three that were lost and the many that were changed forever. Um, so that is the article. And that last paragraph couldn't be more true. The lives that were changed forever. And why? Because one man wanted a light-collared skin baby. Um, a woman who couldn't have children, who didn't even have her own children. But wanted to have another one wanted to give her boyfriend one to keep her man that abused her, that they abused each other. And the biological father, who probably didn't give two shits about his baby mama, the, the mother that was raising his two children. I'm sorry, that was raising one and about to give birth to the other one. But they had to go and do what they did, shoot her in the head and cut her stomach open. Let's not have any witnesses, so let's kill the children. 
Ten-year-old Samantha is old enough to point us out at a line. We should get rid of her. I would think the seven-year-old would be too, but evidently they didn't think that one through right away. Otherwise, they probably would have left Joshua in there with the rest of the family. Three people, innocent people, lost their lives, two of them being young children. And it was at the hands of the two boys that survived. Miraculously, Elijah survived. Jordan was unharmed in all of it. And their biological father was the one who took away their mother, their sister, and their brother. And now he's serving life in prison. So they have no connection with their dad, their biological dad, that I would assume they wouldn't. Their grandfather has been the one who has raised them. And he, I would assume, would have to pretty much, in a sense, uproot his life. Now, it's unknown if he was married at the time. Um, did Deborah's mother, was she still around? Did she pass away? It's unknown. Uh, I, I haven't heard anything in this story of Deborah's mother and any part that she played in um, helping raise Deborah's children after her murder. But how it uprooted Sam's life to, you know, be the grandparent that probably got to see the grandchildren love on them and spoil them and send them home, because that's what grandparents do, um, to find out that, you know, your daughter and two of your grandchildren are dead, but here's two more that are here, one that you're meeting for the very first time just a short period of time after your daughter and your two grandchildren are found dead and murdered. So the very first time that Sam gets to see his new grandchild, Elijah, is after his mother is murdered, or I'm sorry, his daughter is murdered, and his 10-year-old granddaughter is murdered, his 7-year-old grandson is murdered. And I can't imagine what's going through his head, that all the things that are going on in his head, he's lost three very important people in his life. There's got to be a lot of the why questions. Why did this happen? How did this happen? What if I was there? I probably could have stopped it. I mean, a lot of questions probably going through Sam's head. But he's got two grandchildren that made it. And with no one else around to help care for these children, he's going to take them in adopt them, and raise them. And he is probably the only father figure those boys have ever had. Because obviously their biological father was a piece of shit and serving life in prison. And again... 
I, I still don't think that it's right that the three of these people get to live out the rest of their life. Because that night, those three were for the death penalty on November 16th, 1995. They were commuted of that, and I believe down the road, I want to say it was in 2016, if I remember reading right, that the state of Illinois abolished the death penalty, becoming the 16th state to abolish the death penalty. That over the years, more and more states have done away with the death penalty. Now, obviously, death row, death penalty, um, is not something that is instant. So yes, they were sentenced to death row, but there's times where they can appeal their cases and state different facts, um, try to get their sentence um, removed so they don't have to face the death penalty. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, I mean, these cases can go 10, 20 years. Um, before the death penalty is even um, executed on these vi on these prisoners, so not not the quickest system, but again, anything is really better than nothing, in my opinion. Again, not everyone's for the death penalty, but they were for it that night. They were for the death penalty. But when the cards get flipped to them, it's okay. Or, I'm sorry, it's not okay. We're not for the death penalty now, because now you want to put it on us. Why should they get a choice in the matter? Why should they get a say-so in the matter? Deborah didn't get a say-so. Samantha didn't get a say-so, neither did Joshua. Um, it's reported that the, I also want to mention that the medicine that they said that they put down Joshua was uh, like iodine, was from what I heard in a podcast. And that it was causing the vomiting that he was um, sustaining from. Um, I guess just to try and shut him up. I really have no idea why they did it, if they were just going to kill him. Um, very, very terrible that they did all of this. That lives were taken. Lives changed forever. Sam raising his two grandchildren that he has left. And the boys' lives changed forever. Probably the mo two most important lives that were changed forever because they don't know anything about their mother. At 19 months, you don't really know a whole lot about your mother other than she is your caretaker. She, um, you know, feeds you, plays with you, changes you. Um, she cares for you. You know that much. But to really know your mother and to know who she is, 
uh, what kind of person she is, what kind of life she lives, what does she do for work, um, what is she, what was she like in school. I mean, just different things. Has to learn all these things from her grandpa who can tell her what he knows. Um, but obviously, if I would want to know more of that from my own mother, I would want to grow up knowing my mother. Um, to not miss out on those experiences with my mother. And my father, my biological father, is the one who killed her. Is one of the people charged with killing her. And I, I don't know of anyone who would want any contact with their biological father after being charged with that. After knowing that this man took the life of my mother, who I never got to meet, left me and left Jordan in there by himself with his dead mother, his dead sister, his dead brother. Elijah being violently taken from his mother's womb. Thankfully, he survives at all. But it's sad. I did see a video where it was years ago, you know. Um, we're talking, this was 1995 when the murder happened. But um, by the time Elijah was 16, uh, it's showing some videos of him and his grandpa. Uh, he's still in high school, he's playing sports. His brother, moved to some family's house, I believe it was Virginia, if I remember right. And he was in high school, so probably just, you know, a year, a grade or two ahead of him at 16 years old. And he was trying to get the attention of some college recruiters because he played football. So he moved out there to uh, and hopefully increase his chances of, you know, getting a good, uh, hopefully a scholarship, trying to play football for some colleges. Whether or not that happened or not, I don't know. Um, today, I'm going to say he is, Elijah's probably 27, 26, 27, 28. Somewhere in there. I think he'd be getting ready to turn 28 um, this November. Um, his brother, 19 months older than him. So, it's just really sad. Every year that Elijah has to celebrate his birthday, he celebrates his birthday, but he also reminds him it's the death of not just my mother, but my sister and my brother. I grew up living with this, knowing this, feeling this, experiencing it. Because no one should have to ever experience this or live with this. Or even feel it. But he does. Jordan does. Sam does. 
because some people got greedy, wanted a child of their own, wanted to cover up some lies of a fake pregnancy. It's really a sad story. I wish I had a happier ending to this story. But I think this story can stand to go to the top of the list. The Evans family murder case. Is a story that should have never happened. And if anyone could go back in time and change this, I would say I think they would make some different decisions. If they could be there to stop all of this, they would. But maybe if we could go back in time and tell Deborah, just don't answer the door, don't even be home, go somewhere else, go to your dad's, do something to get away from this Laverne, that maybe, just maybe, Deborah, Samantha, and Joshua would all still be here today. Unfortunately, we don't have the power to go back to time to change horrific events that happen in our history. And it's a shame that they've all lost their lives. It's a shame that Family has had to live on without them and, and adapt to this lifestyle that many of us don't have to live. But if anything from this story, I would hope that we could take this story and learn something from it and, and share awareness on this for their sake, for the Evans family's sake. Faking pregnancies is not illegal, which Jacqueline was never charged with. And I don't believe that is even the worst part of this story. Faking a pregnancy is bad, but when you murder three people and two of them are small, innocent children, just because they seen things, they were home with their mother. Probably playing and carrying on. Who knows? knows what time of the day all of this happened, but it's really, it's really disgusting. All this had to happen. It's heartbreaking. I can't put it into enough words. It's a nightmare that has come to life. Three murderers get to live on the rest of their life. And in my own personal opinion, I don't see the justice in that. Yes, it's behind bars. But when the evidence clearly points at them saying that they did it, that they took part in it, Why should they get to continue on with their life?
And if you don't like what I'm spitting on this podcast, you don't like what I'm saying, you don't have to listen. It's my podcast. I'm going to say what I want. I give you my opinions. I give you my raw emotion on this podcast. And there's just there's just so much that's not right with the world. There's so much sickness in the world, and I'm not talking about a physical sickness, but a mental sickness. A heart sickness, a conscious sickness. Because there's so much in the world that should be wrong, but many see that it's right and justifiable because they were justified. They thought they were justified in their actions of what they did November 16th, 1995. But if anything out of this podcast, if anything comes out of this story, can we not forget the Evans family? Not let their memories go in vain. And many of our other victims that we have on here, like Reagan Hancock, who was murdered by Taylor Parker, which right now is our most popular episode out of all of our episodes on Project Luke. The story was somewhat similar where Taylor murdered Reagan and cut the child from her womb. Unfortunately, that child did not make it. But there was another child in the house at that time and Taylor did not bother that child, did not harm that child. That child left in that home alone with her deceased mother. Taylor sits currently on death row. And that is a case that has just recently, within the last Oh gosh, I don't remember now. Year, two, three years at the most. Was sentenced to death row. And was caught the very same day when all this happened. It's It is What is wrong with the world? Why do we find this acceptable? I'm at a loss of words. I, I I can't even fathom the fear that all three of the victims that night in the Evans apartment felt. Let's not forget Jordan because he knew enough to be scared. He knew that mommy was hurt that night. 
And I know that those three will never face death penalty. But I hope they rot. And I hope they live very, very miserable lives behind bars. Let's not forget the Evans family. Let's not forget the victims of all of these stories that we share here on Project Loop. Because I think when we forget the victims, we forget these stories, we almost make this acceptable. We forget about it. No big deal. Let's not do that to our victims. The victims of our fake pregnancies that people are living with this pain and suffering for the rest of their lives. Let's not forget them. With that being said, we're going to conclude this episode of Project Loop. I know this last segment went on a little longer. Um, I didn't do my second intermission. Um, when my episodes normally go this long, I usually do a second intermission. I was in the middle of talking, and I just kept talking, 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 and had to just plug the clips together because I was not going to stop for an intermission right there. Um, but I will throw it in here and finish off the episode. So, again, thank you to our listeners. If you listen to this podcast, appreciate it so much. If you have enjoyed this podcast, not just this episode, but other episodes, you find them, whether you find them interesting, whether you like the stories, maybe you're a victim. Um, please like the podcast, share the podcast, hit the little notification bell, follow whatever platform you're on. It may be different on each platform for following a podcast. Give us a follow. Stay up to date when we drop our new episodes and get them downloaded directly to your device. That way you can listen to it on the go. Don't use your Wi-Fi. Or your, I'm not sorry, your Wi-Fi, but don't use your data. Download that to your phone while you're in Wi-Fi. Then when you're on the go, listen. And and get get it automatically downloaded to your phone. That way it's ready to listen to whenever you go. Whether you listen to it on your phone, maybe you listen to it in your house, on your computer, in your car. I have no idea how you listen. But thank you for listening. But every Monday... At 6 a.m., you press the follow button, the notification bell, get your podcast automatically downloaded to your device and have it ready to go for you on your way to work. Um, maybe in quiet time, wherever you listen, thank you. But stay up to date every Monday at 6 a.m., new episodes drop. Uh, we also have social media. We're on Facebook as Project Loop. 
and TikTok as Project Luke Podcast. And we use our same cover art as we do for this podcast here on both of those social media platforms. So please follow us and thank you for this continued support. Um, we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Project Luke. And we'll talk at you later.